Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Fast Pod. When you think of great motorsport competitors, whether it's on two wheels or four wheels, what is it that springs to mind? It might be their overtakes on the track, it might be their celebrations on the podium afterwards, but whether it's someone from recent times or one of the, the greats of motor racing from days gone by, usually one of the iconic images is the design of their helmet. So racing helmets have come a long way since the early days when it was leather and goggles. Uh, guys like Juan Manuel Fangio were racing and safety was not a top concern. Things progressed a lot around the 1950s, 1960s, when plastic, then metal helmets were introduced. Full face helmets then came through in the 70s and 80s. Intercoms were introduced. Lots of technology was brought in to make it safer for drivers. But an interesting development of all of that was the way that they looked. And not just in terms of actually how they wrapped around people's faces, but the color schemes. Drivers started to adopt signature designs. And the greats like Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, Graham Hill and others were instantly recognizable by their helmet design. Albeit, they were pretty simple. Things moved on significantly in the 70s and 80s when drivers started to realize that it was a prime piece of advertising real estate. And then sponsors started to appear. And probably some of the most iconic helmets had branding placed upon them for the first time. Everybody recognizes Aaron Senna's helmet. Lewis Hamilton impersonated it. As we touched on earlier, you've got the greats from the 60s and 70s, some standouts like Lauda, who was one of the first to have real sponsorship branding. James Hunt's was unique. Uh, you've got people like Valentino Rossi, the doctor, who had his incredible sunburst design. You've got people who went for national flags, like David Coulthard, which was very distinctive when he did it and has spawned many imitators since then. You've got some great ones in, in other types of motorsport. One of my personal favourites is actually a Scotsman too, Stuart Loudon, who's part of the Tunnocks family. His rallying co-driver helmet looks like a giant Tunnocks tea cake, which is looks cool and is also a genius piece of marketing in itself. So there's lots to choose from out there, and it'd be great to hear what your personal favourite is. These days, any self-respecting racing driver, from novice level up to the top echelons of the sport, knows that if you're going to be fast, you've got to look fast. And it's really important to have a great and distinctive helmet design that can make you stand out from the crowd, but also can please your sponsors and backers. This week, we've got someone who's made that their business. A racer himself, as he explains, he accidentally fell into it. Anybody who's anybody has had their helmet painted by this guy. From Formula One stars like Lando Norris and Nigel Mansell, through to the bulk of the national competitors and the likes of the British Touring Car Championship and the British GT Championship, he is the guy to go to if you want to look fast. Welcome to the Fast Pod to Joe Tanner. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us. First question, how did you get involved in helmet design? Um, hi, guys. Nice to be here. Um, it happened completely by accident, to be fair. It was never on the on the radar of something that I wanted to do. Um, I was working at Notkill at the time as a race instructor. I'd been here for probably 13 years um, and had a, I had a good job that I was happy in. Um, and it was just like I was kind of into art. There's a bit of art in the family, I suppose been to art college on and off 
I didn't complete the course, but I had been. So I was quite arty and I was always interested in it. So I just thought, I'll go and do a course down south. It was a two-day course to learn like the basics of helmet painting. Um, just sort of the safeties, the do's and the don'ts kind of thing. Did that, came back up the road. And I was racing at the time in Formula Ford with Roy Butcher. It was me and him in 2009, this was. I had a painted helmet and he didn't. So when I came back from learning these techniques, I said to Rory, how about I paint your one? So he gave me, uh, I think it was Kimi Raikkonen at the time, a Kimi Raikkonen replica that he wanted, which I painted. And within six months, it just exploded. I think I was just in the right environment because all my friends, my circle of friends were all racing. And I think they saw the opportunity for a, a free paint job from their mate. And it just absolutely exploded from that point. So I heard you actually used to doodle helmet designs during maths at school. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've always been into it. I was always kind of, because I was a huge Formula One fan. So I was always intrigued by it. And I would always sit and sort of pass time by sort of drawing what my Formula One helmet would look like when I made it. <laughs> Didn't quite make it, obviously. But um, yeah, I've always been interested in it. It's strange. I always describe it as like, it's the, the man's version of like what women are like about handbags. In a way, like we don't have handbags. But generally, the people I know have crash helmets. Um, yes, I've always been interested in that, I suppose. So not paying attention in maths has earned your career? Yeah, I was not good at school. Like, I'm not an intelligent person in the slightest. Mathematically, I'm quite creative and I'm quite um, artistic, I suppose. But, like, school was just a daydream for me, I think. So what have been the, 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 the biggest challenges? Who's, who's provided the most challenge for you? Uh, in terms of customer? As in what yeah. they want from me? As in what they want. I think the biggest challenge is running a business because it, <laughs> it it was ahead of me. Like, I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about anything. It was just painting helmets for a laugh. And before you know it, it was like, hang on, this is this is a proper business. So that was, that's been the biggest challenge for me. I think I've made this a lot harder than it needed to be <laughs> over the last sort of 15 years. But um, I think customer-wise, I wouldn't name and shame. But I'll see red flags early on in a conversation about a crash helmet. And I'm at the stage now where sometimes I won't paint for people that ping too many red flags. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask Joe. I was just going to ask you to describe for the listeners, I guess, the process of, you know, somebody comes to you and they say, I want a helmet design. And then there's obviously going to be, I guess, a conversation with a bit of their starting point and then a bit of them looking for you to take it somewhere. Can you just sort of describe the, the process from start to finish and what makes you know that go well or not, as you may say? Yeah. So when I first started, it was great. It was literally a discussion. I kind of like this and I kind of like that. And it was like a, you had a lot of freedom in the job you could do. And when they received it, it was a surprise which I really liked and you, you could be creative and it would kind of come together as you were doing it. And they were the good old days. Now it's all computer generated. Everything has to be signed off really in the last three years that has taken over where I very rarely paint something that hasn't been signed off by a customer, which takes a bit of the enjoyment out of the creative side of it, because obviously I already know what I'm trying to achieve and computer graphics now are so good. I'm almost trying to live up to that. They can create something on a screen that's kind of in reality quite difficult to do with terms of colors and effects and things like that. So it's changed, but the process now is that I've got Hannah Chapman that works here now with me, and she has really made a huge difference with the admin and the running side of the business rather than me just trying to do everything. So as a, in terms of a customer getting in touch, Hannah deals with everything through the whole design process. We've got four different designers that work for us creating different designs the idea will bounce backward and forward a lot of the time we're updating something 
because they've been racing for years. It's not very often that you're starting from scratch, but sometimes we are. Um, so that concept will bounce backward and forward um, over a few weeks, depending on how long the waiting list is. Um, and I don't really get it now until this is what you're doing this week. This is the colors. This is this is the concept. And I'll paint from from that approved document, which, like I say, kind of takes the fun out of the early days when it was just like, do what you want. I'll add a bit and I'll do this and I'll do that. You always get somebody that suddenly wants something right at the last minute. Yeah, has, has, there, has there been one that's sort of almost yeah. phoned you on the Thursday once it was Saturday? A lot of people don't seem to understand that the process, and I understand why they don't get the process, because why would they? Whereas I know it inside out. I, I know exactly how it works. So you can't change things. Everything's layered. Everything's planned, you know, days ahead. Because <clears throat> a lot of people think as well that this takes me a day. Like I can spend a week on a helmet and often do. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big, long process. So to change things it is almost impossible. So we stopped sending photos. And it sounds crazy, but every single person, it's in our terms and conditions, no photos. Once you've told us what you want to receiving it, no pictures. Because even when it's finished and it's on the bench with all the accessories and the visor and everything back on the helmet, if I send them a photograph at that point, they think, oh, it's still in the shop. Could you just do, could you? And it's like, no, no, it's like, it's done. Like, there's no going back from this point. You know, if somebody moves the goalposts halfway through, it completely changes everything that you're trying to, that you're trying to do. It's, it's basically the lighter colors go on first because then the darker paint is going to cover that. But if you have a darker color and you want to put on a white or a yellow on top of that, it's never going to work. So you're working backwards. You look at the design and you take it apart into the, into the shades of color. So there's a lot of planning and it's taken lots of years to learn how to do that. And even now, I'm sure that the same design, if you took two different painters, they would approach it slightly differently. But for me, I, I do it in a way that there's no going back once I start. So that is a, a real, yeah, I avoid it. it. Not sending people pictures during the process has really helped. But there are times when um, at the end, when it's finished, there can be a discussion about, well, mm, this is not quite the shade of, of color I wanted. I'll tell you, one of the biggest issues I had a couple of years ago was Ash Sutton. Before he had his Napa helmet, he had a, a like a turquoise helmet. I don't know if you remember. He used mm. it for a few years. It's like a turquoise green color. Um, I think he used it for about four years. And it became so popular, that color. And people would come to me and ask for the Ash Sutton blue. So the Ash Sutton blue was just, a, I think it was a, a BMW color, Miami BMW or something like that. I had a big tin of it next door. I was buying liters of the stuff because I was using that much of it. But it only looked nice with a certain Instagram filter on it. <laughs> so I'd post a picture of the helmet and it looked like it was day glow. It looked amazing on my Instagram, on his Instagram, all the pictures that everyone would take. It looked amazing. But in reality, if you saw that helmet like in a dingy paddock, it wasn't that nice a color. So what started happening was I was painting these helmets in Ash Sutton Blue. I had it written on the tin, Ash Sutton Blue. And then the customer would get the helmet and say, oh, that's, that's not the color. And I would literally have to be like, take a picture of it with your phone, put it on Instagram, put this filter on it, turn it up. There's the Ash Sutton Blue. It doesn't exist. That caused me a headache for a lot of years, to be fair. And thankfully, nobody asks for it anymore. <laughs> it's gone out of fashion. Well, so still, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's doing well this season. So you never know. Whatever he's wearing now might come into fashion as well. People like to copy success, don't yeah, they? So... Yeah, but it, it's a Napa thing that we do for him now. So it's, yeah, yeah it's... 
people can't really copy the nap. No, well, that's right. Joe, I was just Thanks going to ask you, just that, that you talked about the length of the process, they're physically painting it, et cetera, as well. Can you just give people an insight into you know how that works? So the, you know, Hannah's dealt with the, the, the customer request and the you know setting up the computer generated design. And then once you go into the workshop, you know, physically, how do you do that? And how how many hours a day do you spend across the week? And, and how do you actually physically do it? Because it's, it's brilliant to hear behind the curtain, if you like, about that side of it. Yeah, so it's it's a long process. The helmets are all stripped down to a certain point. There's things you can't remove, um, but we strip them down as much as we can to get a good clean finish. Um, and then everything's done by hand with fine line tape. So we've got various different tapes, basically, um, from one mil up to sort of 12 mil. And I just sit and mask out the design. I give myself pretty much a day to do that. Then we'll move on to putting the block colors in place. And then the helmet will be lacquered. It will then be flattened down to get rid of any ridges. And then the airbrushing will start. I'll give myself maybe two, two and a half days to do that. So I'm never just on one helmet. I've normally got three or four that I'm kind of rotating. I'll try to maybe mask at the start of the week and then move into some base colors. And then the following week, do some airbrushing. So people say, like, how long does it take? And I'd have to have a stopwatch to to keep track of that particular one. Um, But definitely got to be up towards 60 hours for some of these crazy crazy complex designs um but yeah it's time flies so quick when you're doing it because i do enjoy doing it I, there's a lot of pressure and i think that's when things become like go from a hobby to a job is when you have a deadline like if you're painting helmets as a hobby it's like oh this is great i've had enough i'll go and do something else if you're in here and you've got someone screaming at you down the phone or turn car media day is the worst day of the year for me uh, this year on the build-up to the media day, we were 2 a.m. for four nights in a row to try to make that deadline. Um, I managed to convince, because we go past the point of making a career <laughs> every year with media day, because we have like 10, 15 helmets that need to go down for, for Turnkar pictures and whatnot. I think last year I got a friend of mine um, to drive down to Silverstone. This year, Aidan Moffat came on his way to media day and he had his pickup and we just loaded everything in the back of the pickup. It is just to hit that deadline was crazy and anxiety fueled and just horrendous. But we we do make it, but we made it like by twenty minutes. It was uh, yeah, it's quite tough. You European painter of the year at one point. I mean, which which of the ones are you most proud of over the years? I think the one that I got that award for was the Lando Norris helmet. When Lando Norris was in F three, we did a helmet for Macau with the casino. It's that one on my wall not that you got the video on but uh, yeah the one on the wall with the casino on the top of it it was a good helmet at the time i think it was kind of not really been done the that was quite a while ago 2016 i think i won that um that's kind of a bit more run of the mill now but at the time that was quite uh it was quite different compared to what everybody else was doing so i really like that one but i think the one that worked the best was probably josh cook's goggles the the flying hat that i did the leather look thing and um, which has got his face and whatnot on it just still using that helmet because we can't think of anything to top it and i don't want to do anything that's gonna not be as good as that and it worked perfectly um and we've got a group chat where every year on the build up to the season a few ideas all get flung around as to what to do to beat it but every year we don't do anything and he's still wearing that helmet which i think is it's probably in his fourth season now and because i don't want to i don't want to do something that's not gonna work as well as that did and i didn't think it would it was like a concept that I thought this is going to maybe look like cartoony, maybe. But I knew that it couldn't look like that. It needed to look absolutely right. 
or it would just be rubbish. So I bought the hat on Amazon and like took it apart and took all the panels, all the stitching out of it and laid it flat and then tried to like work out how it was going to fit. It was a Stilo helmet that he had that has got the intercom built in, which was even harder because you're dealing with these pouches and things where his cheeks were going to be. And it was a real challenge. Um, but I can't take all the credit. I have to always name drop Leon Hillard, my designer, who did all the hard work, <laughs> to be honest, on that one. He like he made it he made it all come together. But it was um, it was a it was a really big, big project. Um, but I only had it for two weeks and it was the final two weeks before media day. It was another heart attack situation. But before that, my designer was on it for for ages, making it right in this group chat. We we keep coming back around to this watermelon that he wants to do, which I kind of don't want to do. Like a watermelon that's like cut and, and is like, uh, you know, like an open face as if you were wearing a watermelon. I think in reality, that would be funny. But on a crash helmet, I can't get, it's going to be really difficult to do that. You know, you'll lose a lot of what it is. It'll, it might just look like a helmet, a green crash helmet, I think. So I think we need to definitely come up with an idea and probably quite quickly before that one goes out of date. How much uh, is there a balance, Joe, between, like you were saying, the, the sort of novelty aspect of doing something and and the more maybe what you call iconic uh, styles of helmets? So I, I was just thinking there's some crackers that you've done recently. I mean, I, I love the one that you did with Jake Ebrey, you know, of uh, Commander Cody's uh, helmet as well, which my son was absolutely like, couldn't stop looking at, you know. And, and you know, that, that was brilliant. And, and you've done some crackers recently as well, sort of customized ones with the one with the barbecue on it and things like that as well. And, you know, you see riders and, and drivers in Formula One and things like that and MotoGP, they do special one-off helmets now, which is really cool because it, it's it's good social media uh, stuff, isn't it? But in terms of if you, you think back to the ones that are really iconic, Sometimes it's the, the most simple designs that really stick in people's minds, isn't it? You know, so which and, and gives you the most the satisfaction? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is hard to keep it so, simple sometimes, isn't it? I got a call last year um, from a guy who I know quite well and I've painted for him for years and he, he sells crash helmets and he's quite involved in the industry and he phoned me up and asked me if I wanted to paint Nigel Mansell's helmet and I thought that he was winding me up. So I told him where to go <laughs> and then I realized he was being serious. Um, so I did Nigel Mansell's helmet last year uh, when he drove the 92 Williams up Goodwood. He didn't have a helmet that was in date. And because that event is an actual a motorsport yeah. event, it needed to be a current helmet. So we got him a modern RI and trying to put his old design on that helmet was a lot more challenging than I thought. You think, oh, it's like a 90s F1 helmet. It's going to be really simple. But it was crazy how accurate you needed to be. I had a document like that thick, about an inch thick of the measurements to the millimeter of where this red, the red lines landed, how they disappeared behind the visor, the dimensions of the Labatt's logo, everything had to be exactly right. I did it quite quickly for Nigel. He loved it and everything was fine. And then I got a Williams mechanic who ran the 92 car, who still works at Williams Heritage. He came forward um, and wanted another two doing. And it was when I did his and I had time to really take all these measurements into consideration that I realized how far off the one I did for Nigel actually was <laughs> the one he wore it is, is was miles off this, this other chap who'd come along and uh, I did two for him. And that was, that was really, really difficult um, to get it right, especially like on the modern helmet, because it's a different shape we're dealing with now in comparison to what they had in 93, they had bigger visors and stuff. Um, I'm doing Josh Hill's helmet right now. It's leaving in a couple of days, who's son of Damon. That's a challenging one as well. Like even he said to me, oh, it's such an easy design. 
And I said, yeah, it's an easy design, but there's no hiding. Like if it's not straight, if they're not all perfectly lined up, it sticks out like a sore thumb. If it's a super complex design, I can hide things. And <laughs> I used to put starbursts in places where there was smudges and things. And you can, you, can, you know, you can it's like a tattoo, isn't it? You know, you can cover it over with something else. But something that is just, you know, so classic and so simple. Um, with with the Damon Hill helmet as well, they don't have a color code for that that dark dark blue. It's almost black. Um, they don't have a. So I, I've done helmets for Josh in the past, and he's always had like a lighter blue. But this year he what he wanted it to match Damon's ninety three helmet, which is like in pictures pretty much black. So again, I'm like on Google trying to like open the image as much as I can to see that blue. And I've got a load of tins of paint next door and I'm just like mixing and mixing and then taking it outside into the sunlight and trying to look at it on the phone. I think it's close. I think it's really close. But I suppose if when he gets it and he puts it next to one of his dad's helmets, he'll, he'll realize maybe it's not that close. But is, there is challenges in those simple designs as well. But you, I mean, there's been some great iconic helmets in the past. Are there any that really struck you and thought that that is pretty special? Iconic as in stuff I haven't done, like from the past? Yeah, like from, from the, the sort of the legends back in the day. Yeah, I've done a million Senna's because why wouldn't you? Everyone has a version of Senna. It's quite a good one. But again, really difficult because like to mask Senna's helmet, it needs to be perfectly straight. You can't have any... 50 pence piece lines or anything on it and there's like three pin lines you've got a white a blue a white and then it goes into the green or whichever depending on top or bottom they're already difficult to do um i met mike fairholm who's a legend in helmet painting he did all these guys hill and prost and everybody back in the day and the way he paints helmets compared to the things that we have to do now he's just like a mathematician he's just like so clinical with everything because that's how it needed to be back then because everything had to be you know perfectly bang on millimeter right but when we're doing these insane non-symmetrical things that we're doing now it takes a bit of that out of it i think i, I think helmet painters of this generation aren't as accurate as they were back in the day so i allow myself a five mil decrepancy <laughs> a 20 foot rule if it's all right from 20 foot yeah. okay <laughs> But, uh, yeah. but so with all of this and you're really really busy i mean how the hell do you find the time to go racing i don't even know it's horrible it's like a, a first world problem isn't it but it's you work in the workshop and like every time i get to a race weekend or a test day or anything i always say like one day this day won't be as stressful as this trying to get everything like i've never been to a race meeting with less than five helmets to drop off with people <laughs> So it's almost like trying to hit that deadline of being ready for the race weekend because the race weekend is generally dropping off helmets for people that are racing in at the same event. So it's like an absolute nightmare trying to get ready. You're loading up the car or you're booking bags onto an airplane, depending on where you're going. And by the time you get there and you get to the stressful part of a race weekend, it's like, whew, like I made it. You know, that's the relaxing bit. Driving a the racing cars is a lot more relaxing than trying to hit the deadline of the crash helmets. I think I, I kind of live at a million miles an hour and I kind of want to slow down a little bit. It's all a bit of a blur. Most of the time we've got a break in the racing now, which is nice, but I need to remember that it's going to come back around quick and I need to keep pushing rather than just going into holiday mode. But the first half of the year with the first four rounds within a couple of months was, I, I knew it was coming like in January, I'd seen the schedule and I was, dread in it and it was 
I knew it was going to be two months of just craziness and that's basically what it was but we made it through and I had a good start to the year and uh, I hit all the deadlines I needed to make so all good. Right. Listen, Joe, um, thank you very much for giving us an insight into how you go about designing the helmets. It's fascinating. And, you know, we just love seeing them popping up on social media and, and seeing what you, you've come up next. So we're looking forward to, to seeing what pops up in the second half of the season. Uh, and we hope you actually get a bit of time to enjoy your race. Thank you. I'll try to keep surprising you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Joe. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that amazing insight about what goes into making a standout racing helmet design. Big thank you to Joe for taking the time to speak to us. So the next time you're watching motorsport on TV, doesn't matter what kind it is, whether it's Formula One or touring cars or something else, and you think, that looks really cool when you see the racing driver's helmet, now you know how much effort goes into making it that way and how many hours Joe spent slaving over it until 2 a.m. in the morning. As Joe says... It's the must-have item for any racer these days. So if you think you need a new one, you know who to go to, Renat Design. In other news, that interview was John Swansong with the Vastpod. He's decided to step away from it. We're also really, really grateful for the time and effort he's put in, and we look forward to catching up at motorsport events in the future. The Fastpod will continue. Hope you still continue to tune in, and we look forward to bringing you more quality interviews with motorsport guests in the future. Thanks for listening.